Good morning. Everybody hear me? Doesn't sound like I'm on. We're working on it. Good morning. Hey, there you go. Uh, we would appreciate your prayers um, for General Assembly this week. Um, for those of you who maybe don't know how our denomination works, we do gather once a year. Um, our church sends what's called commissioners. Uh, I am representing us this year, and so I'll be down there. Um, you can watch all of the assembly online if you want to fall asleep. So um, especially if you're like Thursday night tends to be the really late night, like we went till I think 1 a.m. last year. So, you know, if you're having trouble sleeping Thursday night, just pull it up and you can see what's going on, right? So, um, but do be in prayer for us. There's uh, always uh, things that we are talking about that are really important, but also uh, that people have strong opinions about. Um, and uh, pray that we would act charitably towards each other, um, that there would really be a demonstration of Christian love and... Um, especially around the city, right? That's, we want to make sure that Christ is shown forth. Um, as we come into Thessalonians, let's pray. Father, do pray now that you would bring your word through the power of your spirit, and he would take from the wisdom and the knowledge, the goodness, the grace, the truth that is yours, and that he would impart it to our hearts. We pray that as the word is preached, we would receive it with humility because it is able to save our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, we went camping a couple of weeks ago um, in the Upper Peninsula. It was a great time, apart from you know, the mosquitoes that were like the size of your hand. Um, but um, a funny thing that I do when I go camping, uh, I really uh, prioritize taking showers at the end of the day. Now, I don't know at what point in my life I became so high maintenance. Because um, I remember in college, it was definitely not that way. But now I really enjoy having a clean bed and I enjoy having a shower before I go to bed. And that applies even when I'm camping. But inevitably, Right, when you go camping, and even when you're at home, right, you'll take a shower, and it's like, oh, I took my shower too early. I still got all this other stuff to do. And then you go out and you get all sweaty again, right? And you're like, this kind of is defeating the whole purpose for which I took the shower in the first place, right? Have you ever had that thought? Yeah. So as we come into this place in Thessalonians, we've been reciting. Um, after, in our response, we'll see this again today, right? We've been talking that one of the messages of Thessalonians is how do we act as befits God's people? And Paul is moving from this section where he's been largely kind of recounting a lot of the things about his relationship with the Thessalonians um, and, and highlighting a lot of the good things they've been doing. And he's coming back and he's saying, but there still is more growth for you to have. There's still more for you to do. And part of that is a growth in holiness. Because as God's people, God has called you for holiness. And so in the same way that, um, you know, trying to take a shower to be clean, right, to do that, in the same way that getting dirty right after that kind of defeats the purpose of the shower, he's saying it's not quite right. It's not 
It's not fitting for God's people to dabble and play around with sin when you've been called in holiness and been given the Holy Spirit, right? That it's proper instead for you to seek a life of holiness, right? To want to please God whom you love. And that's what he's going to tell us this morning. So my analogy always breaks down because inevitably you have to get dirty again, right? You have to go out and we have to sweat and we have to do things. Um, But in the Christian life, right, we're called to put off the old self and to put on the new self, which has been being renewed in true holiness and righteousness, right? After the image of Jesus. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Um, And so the first part we're going to talk about is why holiness is important. Paul's going to give us three reasons why holiness is important from verses one, two, and first part of verse three, and then down in seven and eight. So it's kind of a little bracket there. Uh, And then he's going to go into this case, um, this report that he uh, gets from Timothy. So let me remind you again where we are, where we are. So in verse one, he says, finally, then brothers, and you could take that as a good Presbyterian preacher says finally, but still has like half of his sermon left to preach (laughs) or... um, that, that word that he uses there is, he uses again later in chapter four, and it's translated the rest. And I think that's what he's trying to mean here. I think what he means is, as for the rest of the things that I need to talk to you about, I think that's what he's trying to get to. So he's going to have several things that Timothy reported to him. So remember, Timothy was sent up when Paul got down to Athens. He said, we couldn't bear it any longer. We sent Timothy to you to figure out how you guys were doing. Timothy came back and he gave them a verbal report of here's some things going on in Thessalonica you need to know about. And then the letter, of course, is what we have as the result of that. So there are several things in chapters four and five that Paul is going to address that were questions or or reports from Timothy that Paul is going to send back to the Thessalonians in response. Okay, And the first one of those that we'll look at, which will be the second part, or the second main point in our sermon, is the call to sexual holiness. Um, That's going to be the first thing he's going to talk about, the call to sexual holiness. We'll look at other things as we come through the the rest of chapters 4 and 5. Those are the two things we'll talk about today. Why holiness is important, and then a look at kind of almost like a case study, but why is uh, sexual holiness in particular important uh, for them? So let's jump in uh, to verse 1. Uh, Finally, and brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. And one of the reasons I wanted, uh, I really felt like 1 Thessalonians was good for us is because we have kind of just come out of this milestone of becoming our own church, um, which, again, is not unlike where um, Thessalonica was. And at the same time, to come back and to urge us, Fountain Square, y'all, you know, probably most of you longer than myself, have been giving your lives to building this church, right, and to growing it. And I wanted to encourage you to do so more and more, that we have a lot more that we can do as a church together um, as we go and try and reach Fountain Square, as we try and grow in our own personal holiness It's one of the great things about the Christian life. You never really get there, right? We're continuing to move on and to to be a part of the journey together. 
So I wanted to encourage you to do so more and more. But Paul starts off here with the first of the three reasons he says why holiness is important. And he says, it's because how you, it's how you ought to walk to please God. How you ought to walk to please God, right? And we've talked about pleasing God. We talked about that in chapter two, that pleasing God is worth it. But Paul takes a little bit different angle here. And he says, it's how you ought to walk to please God. And when I read that, the first thing that comes to mind is duty, right? You ought to do this because it's your duty. I know, maybe that's just me. Maybe you don't think it that way, but ought kind of, it's one of those words that you're just kind of like, it's not a very exciting word. But I want to help shape that a little bit in the way that I think Paul means it. I don't think Paul primarily has duty in mind here. So, um, and, I'll, and I'll use my relationship with April to talk about this. Um, there are certainly things that are my duty as a husband that I should do, right? Because I am married to her, because I've promised myself to her, et cetera, right? But all of those things I should already be doing because I love her. You see, in a relationship governed by love, duty is more of a boundary when love fails me, right? When I'm not being motivated by love. Duty's not really a motive. I mean, it is a motivation, but it's not the fundamental motivation in a, in a loving relationship, right? You know, if I said to April, yeah, I'll get you a glass of water because I have to, right? Is that... Is that great? It's not, it's not great. It's not going to go over well if I say that, by the way. Right? So, right, you see the difference? Do you see the difference there? I ought to do it because I love her, right? And that's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying in the Christian life, when you are living your life and you understand the love of Jesus, you understand the magnitude of what he has forgiven you, when you understand the staggering amount of the riches that he has given you in Jesus, then you ought to respond in love and thankfulness and your whole life should be flowing out of that, right? It's the, it's the natural right response, right? Just like it is, just like being in love is the natural and right response. And so it's, it sounds almost burdensome when you read the words in English, right? You ought to do this. You ought to please God. But I really think behind all that is this motivation of love, that love is the proper response. You see the difference there? You see the difference between those two? So we ought to please God because we want to love him. In fact, um, Peter says, um, in 1 Peter 1, he says, when you find yourself in the Christian life, uh, struggling with fruitfulness, struggling with holiness, not making progress in your sanctification, it's because you've forgotten the love that comes from the purification of your former sins. You've forgotten, you're losing sight of the magnitude of what Jesus has done for you. So that's the first one, uh, that we ought to please God um, because it is our loving response. The second one is verse 2. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. And Paul says the second reason holiness is important 
uh, is because we should be listening to Jesus. We need to listen to Jesus. It wasn't Paul um, that was giving those words. Yes, Paul was giving those words, but Paul was giving instructions on behalf of Jesus. And apparently in Thessalonica, some folks had thought, well, maybe that's just what Paul thought. Uh, and we know that because of what he says down in verse 8. Uh, Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God. Right? And Paul's saying, I'm not speaking of myself, I'm speaking of Jesus. I'm speaking for Jesus. This is what Jesus commands. Jesus is teaching us how to live a life pleasing to God, right? Jesus is giving us these instructions. Let me say it in a, in a way that maybe will help you remember. Um, to, be, to be holy, in a sense, the, what the word means is to be set apart, right? So if you want to say uh, that you're holy in Jesus, and think about it this way, if you've been set apart by God, then you don't have the luxury of setting aside his commands. If you've been set apart by God, then you can't set aside his commands. I can't come through here, this Bible, which Christians throughout history have done, by the way, right? And I can't decide which pieces of this I want to follow. If I don't like them, I can't decide, ah, you know, that's not really a, 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 you know, an important thing right now. Because it's from Jesus, right? When we teach that all Scripture is God-breathed, from 2 Timothy 3.16, right? All Scripture is from God. And Paul here is saying, what I gave you was from Jesus, right? It wasn't from me, it was from Jesus. And we talk about, um, we talk about this, when we talk about Scripture, we talk about something called inerrancy. It means that the Word of God is without error, Right? In the original manuscripts that's kind of how we talk about it and it's a big it's this big thing out here and you maybe have never thought about it but practically speaking the pastoral thing about what that means is it means this when i come to god's word and there's something that i either don't like or i don't understand that my posture is it's not a problem with the bible it's some kind of problem in me. It's a problem that I'm not able to understand. It's something that I'm obfuscating in my mind, right? Um, that's a big word for Sunday morning. Sorry about that. You understand? The problem isn't with God's word. And apparently some people um, didn't really uh, like the idea of sexual holiness, right? And we'll talk about that in a second. Paul says, you don't get, that's not, that's not something that you can just set aside at will, right? This is what God has called you to, right? And this is what living a life pleasing to him means. So uh, secondly, to listen to Jesus. And the third one is at the end of verse eight. Um, Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. And I, I will confess, I don't, I don't think about this enough. Um, but think about, think about Thessalonica and where they were, right? For thousands of years, up until Pentecost, right? Um, which we celebrated a couple of weeks ago. 
everyone who did worship went to a place to go to worship that God. Right? They went to the tabernacle in the Old Testament and then to the temple. You know, thousands of temples that have been unearthed um, in, the, in the East, right? Even places like Thessalonica, there's a big temple that was there that they've unearthed. Right? You went into this place to go and worship a God. And now here there is the God of the New Testament, the God of Christ, who says, no, it's not about a place. I'm not only going to come down and visit you. I'm going to take my spirit and put it inside of you. My spirit is going to dwell with you, right? That holiness is befitting for God's people because you're not just interacting with another person. You're interacting with a person who is indwelt with the very spirit of God. And so when we wrong other people, right? Think about that. We're wronging somebody else who also has the spirit of Jesus, right? Doesn't that put a little bit more weight on how we interact with each other? What if when we were online and we're talking on social media, because I've been guilty of this too, and we want to react to something somebody says, what if we just stop and took a moment and thought, this person is a brother and sister in Christ? You know, if they are. So they're not only an image bearer, right? Everybody's an image bearer of God, but they're also, especially in Christ, possessing the Holy Spirit. Again, I just, I, I'm, I still, I'm not good at thinking about it. But that's the third reason that, uh, that Paul tells us why holiness is important. And I love the picture that that kind of leaves us, right? Um, please God, listen to Jesus, in honor of the Holy Spirit, notice how all three persons of the Trinity are at work amongst God's people. And I think that's so cool. So Paul moves from there into talking about sexual holiness. So look with me at verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. In case you've ever wondered what God's will is, Right, like for your life, like a lot of us ask, hey God, what do you want? The first thing you should answer is God's will for my life is to be holy. That's the, that's the one thing we do know. This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his or her own body in holiness and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress or wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. We don't know exactly what the situation is in Thessalonica, but we do know that in Macedonia and Achaia, the, the regions where Paul is, that sexuality was a problem. Um, not unlike our own world today, right? Um, for different reasons, perhaps. Um, there's some scholarly debate as to whether or not um, this is primarily related to um, sexual practices inside of worship ceremonies with like Greco-Roman deities. Um, there's been some debate as to whether or not that actually is the case, um, though it has commonly been thought that for a long time. But at the very least, amongst interpersonal relationships in the Greco-Roman world, um, it was, certainly was a problem. In fact, we know, remember Paul's writing this from Corinth, 
And in 1 Corinthians 5, one of the things that Paul's out, uh, that Paul calls out to the Corinthian church that's a problem is that there's a case of incest in the church that they haven't dealt with. So we know that sexual sin was a problem in the ancient world, uh, and, but we don't know what the specific problem is here. Okay, But Paul is bringing it to the front. Um, and he gives us a kind of uh, a negative commandment, right? And then a positive one. And negatively, he says that you should abstain from sexual immorality. Sexual immorality means anything outside of the proper use of sexuality, which is between a husband and a wife, right? So anything outside of that, you should abstain from it. You should be distant from it. That's what that word means, right? Um, I remember in youth group, we used to talk about, uh, you know, you'd always get the question, uh, you know, what is it okay to do, right? Is it okay to kiss people? Is it okay to do different things, right? Everybody was asking that question. And I was always told it was the wrong question to ask, but I never knew why. Um, And this is starting to get at why, why that question it isn't a good question because our job is not to, not our job, that's not the right way to say it. Our calling is not to think how much can we dabble in it without going over. And this doesn't just apply to sexual sin, it applies to all kinds of sin, right? That's not what being called in holiness means, right? When he says in verse 7, you've been called not for impurity, but in holiness, right? We're not trying to get as close to it without going over, right? We're trying to be far from it, whatever that looks like and whatever topic we're talking about. And beyond that, positively, he says that you know how to control your own body in holiness and honor. Um, Some of your translations might have like a, a little number by the word body because it's not the usual word that Paul uses for body. Um, in, my, in my, um, my regular Bible that I got, which is the New American Standard I got when I became a Christian, it says vessel, which is kind of like a more wooden translation. And I think what Paul is getting at when he says that, instead of using the regular word for body, is that this image of vessels in worship, that part of what makes sexual sins so, uh, so incongruous for God's people is that you and I are vessels of the Holy Spirit, like objects in God's house of worship, right? When Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, that you don't take something that's set apart for holiness and now now pour impurity all over it, right? Like that's, he's just saying these two things don't go together. They They don't match, right? And that's part and parcel with what we're trying to, what Paul's trying to get across. But even on the positive side, that we know how to control our body, not being a slave to our passions, right? But how to possess it in holiness and in honor. How can I operate in holiness and in honor towards? another brother and sister in Christ. Remember, that's who you're interacting with. How do, I, how do I do that, right? And there's a lot of things that that means, and we won't go into those um, this morning just for the sake of time, but you know, if you have questions about it, we would love to help you with that. Um, 
And then this whole, this whole thing with verse 6 is, uh, is an interesting one, right? That no one transgresses brother or wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. And you're like, okay, well, what does that mean, Dan? I think God, I think Paul is trying to get across a, a double point there. And in, in that is that part of the motivation for sexual holiness is that you are interacting with brothers and sisters in Christ for whom Christ died, right? So that your motivation is, is also out of love of neighbor and God's love for your neighbor as someone for whom Jesus died, right? That all of our sin, and this is not, I don't read this just as Paul, uh, Paul saying God avenges sexual sin differently or anything else. I think what he's saying is that all sin is part of what Jesus died. And every time we sin, we are filling up the wrath that Jesus endured on the cross. Right? And we should be shunning that. We should be walking away from that. We should be saying that's enough. Right? That's, that's not what we were called for. And so he's saying that because you love your neighbor, because you understand what Christ did, right? This kind of behavior is not proper for God's people. But I do want to kind of pause as we wrap that part up and say, every time I talk about something like this, sexual sin, whatever it is, other kind of um, things that are deeply personal to who we are. The last thing that I want to communicate for all of us, right, is a sense of shame. There's not a person in this room who is not broken by sin sexually. All of us in different ways, right? And my own story is one of, you know, poor choices in relationships, then I became a Christian, then I got involved in pornography, and right? It's our story. We're all broken. We're all broken in this. But in Christ, right, to come back and say, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? that the last thing I would want you to walk away from this is feeling shame that makes you want to hide and to pour other things in to kind of cover over that. That's not the point of what we're saying. The point of what we're saying is to say, we're all in this together. We all are trying to learn how to grow in holiness together and to do so more and more and more each day. And that's what your leadership is trying to help you to do. It's hard, um, but man, it's so worth it. It's so worth it. Um, I want to conclude with one of the early church fathers as we kind of think about pulling these things together, right? What, what is the idea that he's trying to get across? This is a man named John Chrysostom. 
He was uh, the Bishop of Constantinople, which is the first place Christianity really flourished in the ancient world around the fourth century. Uh, and this is what he writes. He writes this in a letter to a guy named Theodore. He says, the Christian stands superior to all troubles. If he does not choose to injure himself, no one else will be able to do that. He is impregnable. He is not stung by the loss of wealth, for he has learned that we brought nothing into this world, neither can we carry anything out. He is not caught by the longings of ambition or glory, for he has learned that our citizenship is in heaven. No one annoys him or provokes him. There is only one calamity for a Christian, which is disobedience to God. I think about that. There's only one calamity for a Christian, which is disobedience to God. But all other things, such as loss of property, exile, peril of life, he does not even reckon to be a grievance at all. What Chrysostom is trying to say is not that those things don't hurt. We've, we've been talking about this for the last couple of weeks, right? Life and brokenness and sin and stuff like that does hurt. But what is truly a calamity in the Christian life is when you and I hurt ourselves and each other because we're just choosing not to live out of the love that Jesus gave us. And we choose sin over that. Friends, we've not been called for impurity, but in holiness. Let's pursue that more and more. Father, thank you for this, your word. Thank you for giving us the spirit in our lives who works mightily within us. We even think about our catechism this morning that all of our efforts by faith are a gift of the Holy Spirit. We pray that he would continue to work mightily in us to help us to know what true holiness looks like in our lives. That you would bring forth love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. That those things would characterize us. That as the world looks upon your church, they would see the love that we have, the care that we have for one another, how we respect and honor each other. And they'd say, wow, their God is an awesome God. We pray that'd be true of us individually and Fountain Square as a whole. In Jesus' name, amen.